Listener Production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. All right, welcome everyone. Welcome to today's episode, my beautiful beans. Today's episode is one of probably, mm, it sounds weird that I say it's one of my favorite topics to talk about, but I love to talk about narcissists. I fucking love it. And the reason I love it is because the more people, the more people out there that understand what a narcissist is, what their behaviours are, how to detect it and how to deal with it, the better off everyone else is. Because the narcissist, while their lives might not change or be altered much by what I say, everyone else who has to deal with them can feel a lot more at peace and know what to do, how to keep people at arm's length. It's just, you know, if you have a narcissist in your life, it's it's extremely intense. It is like a, um, what do you call it? Like an, a soul vampire. It just drains you of all your happiness and joy. So we're going to talk about how to deal with specifically narcissistic parents and parents-in-law, in-laws in general, okay? And the reason I've decided this topic of parents and in-laws is because of you guys. You guys have sent me so many DMs, emails. The Facebook group has gone off about this many, many times about dealing with parents who are narcissists and the fact that they're stuck in your life, the fact that you're blood related or equally as frustrating when you've got an amazing relationship with your partner, but their parents are fucking narcissists. And I'm going to be tackling if your partner can see it and even if your partner can't see it and how to tackle it from that angle, like where your partner thinks that they're all well and good and you're like, oh my God, red flags. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, I don't really have a brain fact today because I am going to be going into what narcissistic personality disorder is an overview because I've done it like probably two years ago, if not longer. And there's a lot of new listeners that have come through since then who may or may not have stumbled across that episode. So we're going to be like, what is a fucking narcissist? And then I'm going to be talking about what is the difference between an over narcissist, which is like what most people think of when you think of narcissist and what is a covert narcissist. We're going to look at the differences. I'm going to talk about how it affects your relationships and then how to deal with people. Part two of the episode is how to deal with people who are narcissists. Okay, so the first things first, let's talk about what a narcissist is going by the DSM-5, okay? And the DSM-5 describes narcissistic personality disorder, NPD, as the following, a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, need for admiration, lack of empathy beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contents as indicated by five or more of the following. There's nine points coming up. Number one, has a grandiose sense of self-importance. So in other words, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without having the proportionate achievements. So they will expect, they will want to like hang around people that have all these crazy achievements and expect to be treated the same way, even though they haven't achieved those same things relative to the scenario. Number two is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Number three, believes that they are special and unique 
and can only be understood by or only should associate with other high-status people. Number four, requires excessive admiration. Number five, has a sense of entitlement, i.e. unreasonable expectations of favourable treatment compared to other people. Number six is interpersonally exploitative. In other words, they take advantage of other people to achieve their own ends. Number seven, lack of empathy, unwilling to recognise or identify with feelings and needs of others. Number eight is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of them. And lastly, number nine shows arrogant, haughty behaviours or attitudes. So there's nine points here and to be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, you only need to have five or more, but a minimum of five of those points. Okay. So if you need to go listen to them again and be like, I know anyone who might fall into this category. Now, like I said, there's two types. There's the overt narcissist, which is the grandiose stereotypical narcissist. They're loud, whatever. And then there's the covert, which is more fragile, they're really aware of other people. They kind of fly under the radar. And normally the covert one is harder to detect or it takes you longer to detect. And as the word suggests, overt is out in the open. The behaviors that are easy to see and covert is just not as obvious, harder to detect. They are just as bad as each other. A covert narcissist isn't kinder or nicer. They just go about it in a slightly different way than an overt narcissist. But the effects, you being with someone who is a narcissist, whether it's covert, covert or overt, is just as bad. The manipulation is just as bad. The pain is just as bad. The emotional abuse is just as bad. Okay? Now, covert narcissism is a subtype of narcissistic personality disorder. They don't display these grandiose behaviors or blatant attention-seeking behaviors. And that is why it's not as easy to detect. They still have a grandiose sense of self, but they're not showing it or they're not displaying it, okay? So they still think they're better than other people. They still think that they deserve better treatment. They still think that they're above other people. I'm above that person. I don't have to do that thing. I shouldn't have to do all these things. You know, they, they believe that they shouldn't have to do these certain things or that they should be treated with more respect or with special treatment, but they're not showing it as obviously as an overt narcissist. And instead, they'll come across as introverted, humble, shy, you know, they're really, really good at deceiving and manipulating as a way of controlling other people. But they're not necessarily like easier to deal with either. It's not like because they're shy and because they're introverted that they're more, you know, you, you know, you can, you can reason with them better. Not at all. They're just not this big character in your face, okay? Now, both kinds of narcissism normally stems from the results of neglect or abuse or abandonment as a child, okay? Um, traumatic childhood experiences in general are linked to narcissistic personality disorder. Genetics can also play a role, but Obviously, this goes without saying, but obviously not all children who were exposed to trauma are going to develop the, the disorder or abuse or neglect are going to develop this disorder, okay? It's just very commonly that people with this disorder have experienced abandonment, neglect or abuse or some sort of traumatic experience, okay? Now, a big difference with the two with covert narcissism is the passive aggressive nature. So unlike overt, they're really blunt and in your face, 
these guys, these people use passive-aggressive traits to control you. So they're going to make subtle but very hurtful comments to bring you down. They might not be yelling in your face, but they'll say things. They'll make all these little stabs constantly, stab, 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 just to bring you down to like shake your idea of who you are, your sense of self, your, your, your self-esteem. They'll make comments about your abilities, about your appearance, anything that they know is important to you and that will get to you. They will be sarcastic all the time, even when it's not remotely funny. Like, for example, you might have, you know, there might be a, a, something in your relationship that's like a sore point that they know that you've been upset about or, you know, you might be completely responsible for doing all the housework, all the parenting, everything falls on you, yet they have no problems making sarcastic jokes and comments about the fact that you're not a good enough parent and you didn't clean this thing properly enough and just little comments there and then if you challenge them on it, they're like, oh, please, I was being sarcastic, I was joking. But it's like you can't make that joke. Like you're a fuckwit. You, you, you never help me out. You're not in your right to make a comment like that. But certain, you know, sarcastic comments like that. They will spread rumours and lies and they will do this to ruin the image of people um, and the image that other people have of someone else as a way of kind of creating a divide between certain people and as a way of isolating other people. So, for example, if you're in a romantic relationship or an intimate relationship with a covert narcissist, they might be telling you things about people that you actually like to get you to stop hanging out with that person. So they'll, you know, spread a rumor, say that they said something about you, say that they actually are like X, Y, Z behind closed doors. You don't actually know them that well. I know them better than you do. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm surprised that you'd want to hang out with them because they're not a good person. And then you feel a bit like shaken, like, oh, fuck, can I actually be hanging out with this person? I don't know. And then before you know it, you've cut out all these people in your life and you've become very, very isolated. And that's a very good way that they can control you. And then they use the silent treatment a lot. It's this like passive aggressive, always a silent treatment. If you've hurt them, they will like take it to the next level and they will be so offended and so hurt and not talk to you for potentially even days. Or you'll have an argument and it might be like a week or even two weeks before things are normal again. And it's not normal because you've addressed what the issue is. It's just that enough time has passed that the two of you have kind of like spent enough time brushing it under the rug that you're just not talking about it anymore. Um, and then, of course, gaslighting behaviours where they will make you feel like you're crazy for believing something or for thinking something or, you know, they'll make you doubt what you read, what you saw, what you heard. So you're always living in this state of like uncertainty because they're gaslighting you all the time. Narcissists are the best gaslighters, by the way. So if you if there's someone that you know that's really good at gaslighting people, they, there's probably a big chance that they're a narcissist. Not always, but often. Now, let's move on. To, so that, that's the difference between covert, covert narcissists and overt narcissists. An overt narcissist is this larger-than-life character that's really intense and often they're more attractive, you know, they're, they're those characters that are charismatic and magnetic, but weirdly have no fucking friends. So they're magnetic with with surface level relationships and everyone's like, oh my God, this person's so fun. This is so cool. But if you dig a little bit under the surface, they've got no close, intimate friendship relationships. They only have romantic partners who they can manipulate one at a time. Okay. And then of course, like, their family, who they who are fucking stuck with them. Um, okay, so that's that's overt covert. 
Now I want to move on to part two of the episode, which is all around dealing with parents and dealing with in-laws who are narcissistic. Like I said, I've received like so many specific questions about this kind of relationship and it affects so many fucking people because there are many, 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 many factors that make this really, really difficult to navigate, okay, whether it's parents or in-laws. So the fact that they raised you or raised your partner, the fact that you feel like you have to have them in your life no matter what because of the blood tie that you have to them, the definite guilt that you have that well that you've always felt but they've always used on you and narcissistic parents use guilt as like their number one currency guilt and emotional blackmail they are like unbelievably talented at using that as as a tool so now it's so ingrained in you that even when you identify that they are using guilt on purpose to manipulate your behavior or that they're using emotional blackmail to get something out of you you st- still can't stop feeling bad and stop feeling guilty and you can't remove yourself from it and you still carry out the things that they want you to carry out to avoid feeling these feelings. Um, Another thing is the feeling of responsibility over them and putting them as a priority. Narcissistic parents or in-laws will make you feel that you are responsible for them. I gave you life. You now have to look after me until the day that I die. You have to put me as a priority. They will often act like they are although they'll never say it, never, but they will genuinely expect you to put them before yourself and probably your own family outside of them, as in like you, your partner and your children. They definitely want to be put first, okay? They don't see why you would prioritize your own children over them, okay? Um, The feeling that you always have to put their feelings first, you know, even if it affects the quality of your relationship with your own partner or with other people, they expect for you to not ever do anything that hurts their feelings, even if it's irrational. Well, that offends me. I'm offended. Now you have to mend this, this you know, problem that you've caused. And you always have to put their feelings number one. And unless you've mended their them feeling insulted, you literally cannot move past that. You You can't just continue on. Another really difficult thing about this is that it's really difficult to know how to break this cycle because it has started since you or since your partner was born. So if you are dealing with your parents or your partner's parents, trying to see it or trying to get your partner to see this can be really, really difficult. And even if they do see it, that their parents are narcissists, um, getting them to do something about it might be just as hard. So you might be someone that's got like a really good backbone when it comes to narcissists, but then you start dating this person who's an absolute angel, you love them so much, and then uh, then you see the dynamic that they have with their parents and you're like, do I fucking run for the fucking hills because this is so painful, I cannot handle it. They're expecting to be put number one and here I am trying to like get closer with this person, potentially have a family with this person. Are these parents going to be in our face all the time and are they going to be controlling everything that my partner does? Like, will I have a say over the parents? And then sometimes the partner doesn't even see that their parents are narcissistic because they've been in this bubble for so long. Or they'll be like, "Mm, yeah, they're annoying, but they don't see that it's like legitimate manipulation. And that's where it can be very frustrating. So let's go through some steps. Some of the steps are going to be for you to put into place. And some of these steps are going to be how to deal with your partner and their narcissistic parents. The first one is obviously boundaries. Boundaries are a narcissist's worst nightmare. Because their currency is guilt and manipulation, this this guilt and manipulation comes 
through a lack of boundaries. And especially if you've been brought into it, you've not been taught how to set boundaries. So the concept of setting boundaries at a young age doesn't exist for you. And you've had to learn it somewhere else, probably through friends or through, you know, other normal relationships you've had outside of your parents. Um, But then another problem is that even though you don't know how to do it, then when you do learn it, you're like, how do I do it with them? Because it's been so long. Okay. And then when you've tried, maybe you have tried to put a boundary in place, they have a tantrum. And there's nothing worse than the tantrum of a narcissist. Like it is the most painful thing to endure. And if you've endured a narcissist tantrum, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's like World War Three, and pretty much the only way to get it to stop is to basically bow down and let them have their way. Otherwise, the wrath would just continue on and on and on. It is fucking torture. They will... N- they will literally, like, no one can hold their ground better than a narcissist. So if you're like, I'm going to walk away, I can't handle this, they're like, fine, walk away. And then they won't call you back, they won't do anything. It is like they set it up so you are the one that's always crawling back. They will not forgive you. They will act so insulted. They will they will pick on things that you said while trying to set that boundary and be like, you insulted me. I don't know if I can ever recover from this. It's, it is just so intense and painful. However... It doesn't matter because when you set this boundary, everything will change for you. And there is a chance that this narcissist will try and threaten you by saying, I'm not going to be in your life. I'm not going to start. I'm not going to mind your children anymore. They, they throw all these threats, especially ones that like are things that you need. And a lot of people will put up with their narcissistic parents or in-laws because they often really help out with a lot of things as well. But you still have to draw that boundary because you've got the option. Keep doing what I'm doing and it's clearly not serving you. It's not working for you. Or I need to put this boundary in place and just wait and see what happens. And I'm going to touch on this in a second of what you can do. Number two, do not try and fix them or change them, or do not try and get them to see the light. A narcissist does not operate the way you do. They do not reason the way you do. They cannot see things the way you do. So this applies for every relationship, but tenfold for narcissistic relationships, okay? For you to be like, but can't you see that? No, they can't, okay? So don't waste your time. And when you try and reason with a narcissist, you it's like the blind leading the blind, no one's understanding what the other person's saying because you're you're trying to reason with them. Their version of reasoning is very, very different. They don't reason. They get what they want, okay? Someone who is not a narcissist who's has healthy uh, has a healthy approach to their relationships, their aim in an argument is not to get what they want. And your aim, if you're a healthy person in an in a argument or whatever you want to call it, is to seek to understand and to be understood. That should be what a healthy person's aim is every time they have some confrontational conversation with their partner or with anyone. You shouldn't be like, I want to win, I want to win, I'm here to win, I'm here to win. That's very unhealthy. But you should come into it being like, my aim is to, even if we disagree, I really want to get where you're coming from. And ideally, I would love for you to understand where I'm coming from. That's not how a narcissist operates. They want to win. Okay, so they're like, I will do what it fucking takes to win this fucking thing. I don't care what the collateral is. 
So to try and reason with that, unless you yourself are a narcissist and then two narcissist butting heads is a fucking circus act, but it's just, you're going to get nowhere. So never try to change or fix a narcissist or reason with them. You are wasting your time, you're wasting your breath, and often they will be really good at picking so many holes in your arguments and hurting you and offending you and finding a moment where you said something that was insulting and then they latch onto that and you end up losing your ground, okay? So the best thing you can do is actually less is more when it comes to a narcissist. Number three, do not try to get them to agree to the boundaries that you have set in order for you to be able to put them into place. So like I mentioned, one of the key traits of a narcissist is that they are interpersonally exploitative. So meaning that they will use you to get what they need, whether it be material, whether it be emotional, whether it be a sense of importance, like status related, whether it relates to making them look like a better person, they will use you for their benefit and for the the benefit of their image. Okay. So no, they're not going to agree with this boundary that you've put in place. And based on your history, they will likely maybe kick up a, a bit of a, you know, they will have a tantrum when you try and put a boundary into place because it threatens the very thing that they want from you, okay? It threatens whatever it is that they want from you. They have you in your in their life for a reason. And this sounds really mean, but if you have a narcissistic parent, they have you in their life because you serve them in some way, shape, or form. And they might love you, but it is a very unhealthy love where it's very conditional, because if you were to put a boundary in place and someone says, come and talk to me when, you, when you've got some sense knocked in and they, and they nev- never call you, they never talk to you, that is conditional, very conditional. And the conditions are very unhealthy conditions. If the only way to have a relationship with someone is by them not respecting your boundaries and you not having any boundaries in order to be able to see them, what does that mean about how they quote unquote love you? You answer that question for yourself. What does that mean to you? How do you interpret that form of love? Because the way I look at it is not good enough, basically. Number four, stand your ground. With a narcissist, you have to stand your ground, but peacefully. So when a narcissist is having this moment where they're blowing up, where you've put in a boundary and they're trying to they're trying to get you from every angle, emotional blackmail, make you feel guilty, they're trying to... Um, you know, pick one thing that you did in the past and bring it back to the surface and make you feel really guilty. So then you'll back down and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you stand your ground. Threats are going to be thrown. Hurtful things are going to be said, but you just stand your ground. And if they turn around and say, I don't want to see you, I'm not seeing you until this is resolved, just don't respond to that. Just be like, okay, no problem. Okay. Now, If you are in a situation where you're like, yeah, well, I don't want my parent walking out of my life. Yes, they're a narcissist, but I love them. I don't want to cut them out of my life. That is still okay. With this kind of situation, what you can do is you stand your ground. You say, look, I'm not going to be doing this any longer, or I'm not going to have you talk to myself or talk to my partner like that anymore. And if they blow up, just say, look, I'm going to leave because I'm not having these conversations anymore. So you literally give them nothing. You're giving them nothing. Then if they say, you, you walked out on me, you're so rude, how dare you talk to me like that, blah, 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 don't come here unless you're coming with an apology, right? Don't come with an apology, but you can still reach out to them on an occasional basis, being like, 
hey, how's it going? Just wanted to know if you wanted to, you know, you can invite them to places, you can whatever, but always keeping that boundary, just saying, I'm, st- and then if you insult my partner again, I'm going to leave. If you try and manipulate me again, I'm going to stop the conversation, you know, so you can always maintain these boundaries. They'll be very annoyed at you. But what happens is that eventually a narcissist, when it comes to setting boundaries, eventually they will try and then shift their focus to a weaker target. And I really feel sorry for these weaker targets that are out there that I've yet to discover my podcast. But there are weaker targets out there and eventually a narcissist is going to just shift bang and then find a weaker target. And that's what they're going to fixate on. Because strength, they're not that strong. They're, it's all a facade. If you have legitimate strength, which is not matching them energy for energy, because you'll never, you'll never win energy for energy with a narcissist as far as how intense they can be. But you can win with just being constant and stable. This is my limit. I'm not going to get angry. If you start screaming at me, I'm just going to leave. I'm not blowing up. You can yell at me as I leave. It is what it is. Just stand your ground, okay? Just make sure also that you're not sacrificing your mental health in order to have an amicable relationship with somebody, okay? Because these people, these parents, these in-laws are going to cause such a scene and make you feel so horrible and guilty because they are your parents and you have a blood relationship and it is your responsibility now to make sure that they age in a really comfortable way and blah, 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 blah. You know, they, they, they're they going to cause such a scene. They're going to make you feel so guilty that you're going to feel like you have to go crawling back to them because you're not used to standing up to your parents or your partner isn't used to standing up to their in-laws. So then you you realize that the only way, if you keep doing that, if you keep crawling back to them, it means that the only way to have a relationship with your narcissistic parents is if it is 100% on their terms. And it is only if they are able to manipulate you. And that's not okay because if they are not willing to have you in their life, their child, if they're not willing to have you as a child in their life, when you create a boundary because it matters to you, then they have exposed themselves and how they feel towards you. Okay? Sounds awful, but people have such an attachment with keeping people in their life just because they share 50% DNA, which blows my mind. Because it's like, you can choose your family. You can. You don't have to have someone in your life who treats you like shit, who's always disrespecting you, who's always manipulating you, who would only ever have a relationship with you if it's on their terms. What does that mean? If someone's only ever willing to have a relationship with me that that's on their terms, that is a fucked power dynamic and that is emotional abuse and there is no other way of, of wording it. Someone who says you can only be in my life if it's under my terms and if those terms include me emotionally manipulating you, that's abuse, okay? Call it what you want, but it's fucking abuse. Now, number five, be willing to walk away from conversations without seeking to be understood. We are so used to dealing with people that are similar to us, to non-narcissistic people who, you know, ultimately want, like their main aim after an argument is to just make sure that we still love each other, we still respect each other, you know, like we might not agree, but, you know, so we feel that we need to operate in the same way when dealing with a narcissist and we don't because the outcome is not going to be the same. 
So a narcissist will look for holes in your arguments. They're going to find moments where you're weak and they, you know, and moments where you might snap at them. So they've got ammunition to use your behavior or your words against you. But you do not need to provide them with ammunition because you don't need to be explaining yourself all the time. And a narcissist wants to get you tangled up in a web. Okay. So they'll be like, why, why? They'll be, they'll be pressing, pressing, pressing and get you to say something. They'll be like picking at it, picking at it until you snap or until you say something or till you react. And then they've got you. Okay. Because they'll be like, oh, you said this. Oh, I thought this. And especially when your emotions are heightened, you haven't been able to pause and reason and act on your, like, in a way that you think, okay, I've thought this through. I might have initially felt this in the moment, but what I really wanted to say was this, you know, often when we're so, so high, our emotions are so heightened, it is just the first thing that comes out. And often it's anger because we've lost control because we are, our emotions are really heightened. We don't feel good. Okay. And that's what they want. So they will cling to that. So less is more. Basically, when it comes to dealing with a narcissist and arguing with them, less is more. You say what you want to say. They'll ask you a thousand questions. And then you just say, look, I understand you've got all those questions. Not willing to answer those right now. And just reiterate what you said. This is now my boundary based on our history. And if you can't remember what our history is, then that is a shame. I'm not going to remind you. Okay. Number six, do not bite the bait. So a narcissist, basically what I was saying before, but a narcissist will get you to snap to keep the cycle going. So when they come at you with more stuff to get you to snap, acknowledge it, smile, and be like, I'm thrilled that I fucking acknowledge this and I'm not snapping, and walk away. And one of the best ways to get you to to snap, well, actually, I'm going to go straight into number seven, because this is it, is don't try and mend your reputation with a narcissist. So them getting you to snap is one of the best ways to do it is to change how you think that they perceive you. We as humans value how people perceive us so much. Like it is one of the things we value the most. We value what our reputation is. We value the image that other people have of us in their minds, especially, especially the people that love us and that we love. Okay. So for most of us non-narcissists, it hurts when people that we love, well, and anyone, but when people that we love especially think poorly of us. So a narcissist knows that and they will purposely say hateful things about you and accuse you of things and accuse you of you know bad personality traits because they have like i said a blatant disregard for others especially if you're not serving their needs but they do this in order to get you to engage with them because they've hit you where it hurts they will try and say this is actually your reputation this is how i view you you're you're cold you don't care about people you're actually like you're actually really selfish. You know, they'll say comments like that and you're like, oh my God, no, I'm not. I've done everything for you. I did. And this is where you start defending yourself. So you start to try and mend your reputation with a narcissist when in reality, they don't give a fuck about what they think of you. Do you think it, they care if they think you're selfish or not? It doesn't matter. You are in their life to serve them, to serve their image. Okay. So, and you might be thinking, wait a minute, but I know a narcissist, but they're actually really nice to their kids because the kids serve their image. They look good as a good parent. They'll act on it as a good parent. But I can tell you right now, a true narcissist 
will then manipulate their children later on in life. You, right now, with narcissistic parents, being manipulated, okay? So it it will always happen. Now, I do believe that there is a time and place always to defend yourself, but this is not one of them. If a narcissist is accusing you of these really poor character traits that you genuinely believe that you don't have, let them accuse you, and that is when you walk away. Because the biggest trap, the biggest bait is you defending yourself. They'll accuse, you defend, they've got you. So don't. Let them think what they want of you. Let them think. Okay, now number eight, we're going to talk a little bit about the partner. If your partner has narcissistic parents, if your in-laws are narcissists, or one of them is a narcissist, and your partner does not see it or does not want to change it, then this is going to be a massive source of contention for you guys, okay? Because if your partner sees it and he's like, I'm fucking he, she, they are on board to change it, then you work on this together and it makes it a whole lot easier. The hard thing is when you see it and they either don't see it or they see it but they're like, oh, no, it's fine. They're not really narcissists. Okay, so how do you get them to understand? The best way to do it is that if they don't agree with you that their parent is a narcissist, you want to start asking them questions instead of telling them because people... When you talk about someone else's inner circle, it's kind of this thing of like, oh, I can say that that my best friend's fucking X, Y, Z, or I can say that my parents are this or that my siblings this, but no one else is allowed to say it. It's kind of that situation. And sometimes it can take years of being in a relationship with someone until they are comfortable to have you say something negative constructively about their inner circle. So I would be really careful to not, you know, go in for the attack when it might be a dynamic where they're like, wait a minute, I can say something bad, but you can't about my parents. So the best way to do it is to ask them questions instead that get get them to do the talking. So you can ask them, did you think that what happened today was fair? Has that happened before? You know, based on an interaction where maybe the parent was trying to manipulate your partner. You could say, do you feel like you owe your parents something? And if so, why do you feel that you owe your parents something? Or did, have you ever been made to feel like you owe your parents something? You, you start asking questions, you get them talking, and then they'll start to talk and divulge, and then you can continue. The aim is to get them to answer their own, you know, questions and their own fears and their own concerns about their own relationship with their parents, okay? You could say something like, do you feel that, the relationship with your parents goes both ways. Do you feel that you could speak to your parents the way your parents speak to you? Did you feel that you were unable to talk about up about certain things in your childhood? You know, has anyone else in the family had these same issues or these same conversations with your parents? So you start asking all these questions and you don't have to resolve it in that one conversation, but you want to plant the seed in the sense of like, you're not trying to infiltrate them and get them to turn against their parents, but you want to plant the seed for them to be like, wait a minute, I am being treated poorly. This is unfair. And I am allowed to stand up for myself a little bit. Okay. So you're not there to be malicious. You're literally there to be like, I'm trying to help my partner not be so manipulated in a situation. Now, if your partner does acknowledge it, or doesn't acknowledge it, you are still in your right to limit interaction with someone who treats you poorly. I don't give a fuck who this person is, okay? So, I mean, I'm very lucky, very lucky because my in-laws are fucking legends. However, if they were not, if they were narcissists, 
no matter how much I love my partner, I would just say, you know what? I love you so much. You go and enjoy that family dinner. I will not. I will peacefully be doing my own fucking thing and not exposing myself to these, like, you know, not putting myself in a situation where I'm basically being emotionally tortured for no reason. Now, I never like the idea of partners feeling like they are stuck between their partner and their parents, you know, and you don't want to be in a situation where your partner's constantly being torn between their parents and you. So it's not your job to constantly criticize their parents. Um, You do have to understand that your partner has a history with the parents and it's not easy for them to pull apart these emotions being like, they are my parents, I love them so much, but they also treat me so poorly and they're narcissists and they manipulate me all the time. But it is okay to say, look, I feel like you don't see certain things the way I see it and that is perfectly fine and you have a different relationship with your parents than I do, obviously, but I would rather limit the time that I spend with your parents because every time I interact with them, it doesn't go well. Okay. And they treat me a certain way that I don't like. I don't really value those moments where they're talking down to me. So I'm not going to spend as much time with your parents that you do. And I don't have to hang around with your parents every time you hang around with your parents. They're your parents, not mine. Okay. I'm not tied to them with this fucking invisible umbilical cord. And if you choose to be, that's on you. That's not on me. Okay. And if your partner refuses to see the pain that you are caused by, like by your, by, their parents, by your in-laws, and refuses to stand up for you or who will always put their parents first before you, then you're likely going to find this a really big source of deterioration in your relationship. Someone who can never stand up for their partner in front of their parents. And I'm not saying always choose the partner over the parents because sometimes there are toxic partners out there. I get that. But someone who can genuinely allow their own parents to be rude dismissive or attacking or, you know, insulting or condescending to their partner and who allows it to happen, to me, that is the biggest turnoff. There is no bigger turnoff than someone who can't stand up to their parents and is like still sucking on the fucking teat, all right? Like get a grip cunt and learn how to have a spine and learn how to put your parents in their place where they're being inappropriate. Some people can't do that and it's gross, okay? Like these are really, really unhealthy traits here and a lot of the time people in those relationships, like someone who will refuse, like if you're dating someone whose parents are really narcissistic and they are kind of like, well, this is my family, take it or leave it. Like, well, leave it then. This is not something I have to put up with. Like I hate this idea. And I think I've spoken about this. This can be my pet hate for the episode. When people say, you know, if you couldn't have me at my worst, then you can't have me at my best. Like, fuck off, you like non-self-aware moron, because that's not how it works. Because if your worst is you being a bad friend, a bad partner, you putting your partner in the firing line of unhealthy family members, making them feel emotionally disrespected, if that's your worst, I don't care about your best because your worst outweighs your best. Okay. And I don't have to put up with that shit. And a lot of people will look at their worst as actually being unhealthy behaviors that they're displaying and say, well, ha ha, you can't have me at my best. Well, fuck, take your best to someone else who's willing to put up with your bullshit. I'm not. Okay. Hate that. Anyway, I personally think that 
you don't have to agree on everything with your partner, but you do need to be empathetic and you do need to try and understand your partner's needs and your partner's feelings. And to automatically put your parents or for your partner to automatically put their parents' behaviors above yours just because there's a blood relation there is a clear indication that they're not reasoning and they're not, you know, dealing with the issue. Okay. They're not basically someone who can't reason. They're someone who is pretty much, you know, those people, they're, they're brainwashed basically. So they've grown up in this thing. They can't pull away from it. They're stuck in that brainwashed thing. And then it's up to you to decide if I can't reason with my partner, am I willing to put up with this for the rest of my life? Or am I willing to walk away? Because if your partner can see it, and is willing to do something, even if it's difficult, then you're at a good starting point and you can do something about it. And even if your partner can be like, look, I can see it. I can't stand up for myself. I just, I can't do it, but I can stand up for you. That's, that's still okay. That's still a step up. But for a partner to be like, oh no, my parents, you know, you can't, they can't, they can't be touched. They're perfect. They're fucking perfect. And they're like really manipulative and awful, but they treat your partner like, a, you know, in front of you, they treat them well and they treat you poorly. That's just a manipulation tactic. And if your partner's falling for that, then I find that like gross. I find it's like such a gross turnoff. It's like worse than like someone scratching my eyeballs with dirty fingernails. It's just foul. Anyway, that is... <laughs> the the eight points. So I'm going to summarize those eight points so you can remember it. So number one, set some boundaries. Number two, do not try and change them or fix them or get them to see the light because they never will. Number three, do not try and get them to agree to your boundaries in order for you to be able to put boundaries in place. Number four, stand your ground. Number five, be willing to walk away without getting your parents to try and understand you. Don't seek to be understood. Number six, don't bite the bait. Okay, they're going to try and fucking bait you. Number seven, don't try and mend your reputation with a narcissist. This is the bait, okay? And number eight, well, number eight was actually me just talking all about what you do with your partner. But basically, if your partner doesn't see it or want to change, then you've got to, number one, get them to try and see it. And number two, if they don't see it, you've got to set some boundaries for yourself so you don't have to be exposing yourself to this really unhealthy scenarios all the time. You can still have a partner. Unfortunately, it would suck. It's sad, but you can still have a relationship with your partner and also say, your parents are horrible to me and I don't need to be exposed to that anymore. And I'm not willing to, and I won't. And then your partner can decide what to do. You can be like, I love you. I want to stay with you, but I draw the fucking line here and I'm done. All right, so that is the episode of today. We have a listener question, and then that'll be it. So let's get into it. You have one unheard message. Hey, Alexis, just going to get right into it. So I've just moved to a new city. I've been here for over a month, and I have really struggled to make friends. I moved to Auckland, New Zealand, and moving here to study has been a goal of mine for five years, but I've just been so lonely. My boyfriend of seven slash eight months is currently an hour and a half car drive away and I find myself visiting him almost every weekend. Since visiting, I've made friends and always enjoy my time there. So I'm guessing that where your boyfriend lives is not where you are originally from. Because of how great I feel with my boyfriend and friends, I find myself thinking of maybe moving there next year. Although I like Auckland, I don't like my degree or how lonely I'm feeling. 
I'm trying to embrace the independence and work on myself and my relationships with friends and my partner, but I can't shake the feeling of leaving. I have a passion to become a hairstylist and found a course closer to my boyfriend, but not sure if I should just take the jump. I feel like I've jumped too far from my comfort zone and needing to take a step back. Although I like being on my own, I'm not happy here. Please help. Your advice holds so much power. Okay. Look, number one, I'd never encourage for anyone to do anything when they're legitimately unhappy. So we need to kind of pull this apart and ask you a bunch of questions so you can decide, am I, am I unhappy or am I uncomfortable? Because there's, they're two completely different things. And sometimes you'll look at a situation where it's really comfortable. It's really like pleasant, but it's not challenging you and it's not getting you to where you want to be. And you think, oh, wait, maybe I'm just really uncomfortable. And I'm seeing this like much quote unquote, easier life. And so I'm gravitating towards that because I'm really struggling right now. And what I'm doing is really hard versus I legitimately do not like what I'm doing. I don't like my degree. I feel like I'm wasting my time. I feel like I could be doing something much better with my time where I'd truly be happy. Okay. So we need to figure out which one it is here because only you can know the answer. The first question to ask yourself is if you didn't, if you were single, do you think you would feel the same way Fair enough, you wouldn't be going to that exact city where your boyfriend lives to visit, but would you really still not want to do the degree? Would you still be gravitating towards hairdressing? Yes or no? I mean, there's no right or only you know the answer. So without the boyfriend, would you still feel the same way? Another thing is, have I really truly done things to try and find independence here in Auckland or not? Like if you're going away every single weekend, that cuts out a lot of time that you could spend in Auckland doing certain things. Okay. So maybe you have, maybe you haven't. You've only been there for one month. The next one, why don't you like this degree? Is it genuinely, you are not passionate about what you're studying anymore. You found something you like more. You just know for a fact, it's fucking not your thing. And there's no point wasting more time. Cause if that's the case, definitely bite the bullet and drop out of the degree. I've, there's this like sunk cost fallacy thing, which I feel like I've got to do a whole episode on, but basically sometimes people will stick something out because they don't want to realize the loss. They basically are like, oh, I'll stay in this because I've already invested this much time, even though you know, you hate it and it makes you miserable. So sometimes knowing when to quit and I've got a whole episode called Knowing When to Quit. But sometimes knowing when to quit is like a very, very good skill. And so sometimes it's good to be like, no, I fuck it. I just don't like it and I'm going to pull the pin. But make sure that you're not leaving the degree because it's not where your boyfriend is, if, if that makes sense. So just ask yourself those questions. It's always going to be hard for you to settle somewhere when you're emotionally where your head is somewhere else. Always, because right now you've got one foot where your boyfriend lives and you've got one foot in Auckland. And that's always going to be very, very difficult. Doable, but difficult. And so I think it's really important to be like, will I genuinely look back at this and regret not giving it my all, not really like putting all my time and energy into Auckland? And will I regret pulling the pin so early? Because understand that right now I'm not giving Auckland my all. And you might never, and you might pull the pin and be really happy with it, but there might be a big part of you that that's like, I feel like I just will never get to know this place. And also ask yourself if, if it was, if the tables were turned and if your boyfriend was visiting you every weekend, would your lifestyle and your opinion of Auckland change? 
Because why are you going to visit him all the time? Why can't he fucking come and visit you? Maybe there's a good reason for that. I don't know the answer. But would that make you change your mind? If the answer is no, then that's another good indication. Also with the whole if you were single, if the answer is no. It's really hard to know when you've only been somewhere for one month and you don't have a social network there. And it just takes time to build that. Um, Another thing is make sure that you're not trading the discomfort the first like few hard months or the first year for something that, you know, might may or may not pay off, you know. So basically the discomfort of regret of leaving something good behind for something that was more comfortable or, or a safe option. Now, when I first moved to Sydney, I was in like this heartbroken state. I wasn't feeling really good. And I remember in my, like two weeks in, I one of my best friends now, Luke, we had like kind of knew each other, but not that well. And I remember going to his birthday as a plus one of my friends and he was like, oh my God, do you like living in Sydney? And I was like, not really. I don't fucking like it. And because I was, you know, all my, everyone was in Queensland. My ex was there. I just missed it so much. And I was like, did I make a mistake? And he said, two years, babe, you've got to give it two fucking years. He's like my, cause he's a singer. And he was like, my manager was like, give it two, two long years and you'll know. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm determined to give it two years. I didn't, I didn't after a year I moved to Paris. But then when I came back, I came back to Sydney, even though I was tempted to go back to Queensland. And that's when I started truly feeling like, all right, I feel like I've finally started to really lay my roots down and really start to feel like this is my city. Then I moved again, but then I came back to Sydney. So I think you have to give a place time if if you like the degree. If you don't like the degree and you don't like living in Auckland and you're like, I am wasting my time here and I know what I want and it's not this, then move. Because I don't want you, like the main thing here is, the only reason I'm saying all of this is because I feel like you are having doubts and I feel like you're feeling guilty about leaving. If a decision's not right and you know it's not right, pull the fucking pin. It's a skill to know when to quit. And if this is the time to quit, quit now. Cut your losses and go and do something that's genuinely going to fulfill you. However, if you are in this like divided state where you're like, I feel like I'm going to regret leaving, then those are the questions that you have to ask yourself would I still be the same if I was single? Would I be making these decisions if I was single? Why is it that I don't like the degree? Ask yourself all these questions and hopefully that will help you come up with an answer. But ultimately, if you decide that you want to, you know, quit and leave, you should never feel bad. You gave it a red hot go. You don't love it. Okay, it's only a month in, but if you don't love it, you've tried it. Cool. Take that one off the list. You gave it a go. Done. Now you don't have to ever think about it again. On to the next. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the listener question and the episode of today. That is all. As always, please remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke. Listener.